For some of you, it's your first time. For others, it is not. But for today, I would like to welcome you all to Epic Realms. Friends and enemies, heroes and villains, welcome to Epic Realms. Today's guest is a USA Today best-selling author, Nebula Award nominee, and co-owner of Atheon Books Publishing. Please welcome the one and only Brett C. Bruno. How are you doing? Welcome on in. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm uh, doing fine. Ready to go. Awesome. Let's talk real quick about, and, and I'm going to pronounce it wrong a couple times here, Atheon Books, Atheon Athon. Oh, you got it. Athon, I got it. Yeah, you got it right. All right. Let's talk about that. How did that? How did that come to be? How did that come about? And tell our audience a little bit about it. Um. Yeah. So I think we started. It was like five years ago. Okay. Um. So at that point, I was a fairly successful author. Um, my co-owner Steve Boyer was a fairly successful author, and we did a lot of work together. And we always sort of bounced the idea around of starting a publisher ourselves. We had a lot of contacts and knowledge in the audio side of things that we knew we could help. And of course, ebook too, because we had sold a lot of our own stuff. And you know, I'd worked with traditional publishers like Random House and other small publishers and done a lot of indie stuff. So we'd kind of seen every side of the industry. Um, and then he got laid off from his job one day. I didn't like my day job. So he was like, do you want to do this? And I was like, sure. So I went part-time like that week and we started building it like four months later, I quit my job and and we had started it off of like a $4,000 Kickstarter. Oh, wow. What was, what was kind of the goal with that? Like what were you doing and planning to do that was different than what everyone else was already doing? Um, obviously audio was a big focus for us. So like five years ago, audio, especially for indies was really starting to explode and we were kind of at the ground floor of, of that happening, of working with all the different audio publishers, of doing it ourselves and treating it as an equal right to ebook. So we started synchronizing our launches on all the formats and, you know, really focusing on all of the digital things instead of just ebook. Like we had seen all the big four digital only imprints. They really only focused on ebook and they ignored audio, which is like the same amount of profit. Um, yeah. That was what we wanted to do was sort of take a very traditional deal where we handle the rights, pay for everything, do everything, covers, editing, but treat each book with an indie mindset. Um, so, you know, it's for someone else, but as, as if we were self-publishing our own book um, and, and treat it like our own. So that was kind of how it started and, and how we've always gone, um, just really trying to exploit rights for every single author and, and focus on all we could do digitally, not just one thing. Yeah, that's really cool. How did you approach other authors? Because obviously there's just the two of you starting off. Did you already like, we know a bunch of people that are already going to be in and jump on board? Yeah, so I, I, we had been in the community for a while. I started like a, a science fiction and fantasy newsletters thing where I was basically just promoting other authors for free. Um, building up building up the list, sci-fi bridge and fantasy bridge, what they were called. And so as I was building that, we gained just a lot of indie contacts. Um, and as we were building that up, I, I met a lot of authors who were like, I really like the writing part. Um, you know, maybe they launched at like the start of KU and they got really lucky with a hit. They didn't know how to sustain that success because uh, they didn't really want to do any marketing or anything. And so a lot of our first authors were really were friends who didn't want to have to sell their own thing. They just wanted to write yeah. their own books. Like our first big signing was Paul Anthony Jones, who's passed now, but was a 47 North author who they just passed on his next thing. They didn't want it. They offered him no explanation. So there's a lot of that type of author that we started working with. And as 
as we were successful with them more approached. So we sort of have a two-pronged thing. We have a traditional submissions portal that a lot of people reach out to that we review and all that. Um, but we do a lot with referrals and, and friends and people being brought to our attention as well. So we're kind of 50-50 on those two things. But at the start, it was really just a lot of people we knew we could help them because they didn't want to do the business of writing. They just wanted to write. Yeah. Did it grow from just the two of you or is it still just the two of you? Um, so no, we have like, we have editors, we have artists on set, we have assistants and all sorts of stuff. I mean, we are proud that we're fully independent still. We don't have investors or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Um, so everything I like to say when we sign people, like we don't deal with an in-between or anything you deal with me or you deal with Steve or the two ones in, in charge. And we give you an answer that is final. You don't have to go through intermediaries or anything like that. Yeah. Um, but no, I'm, at this point, we have, we have we have a team. We have people checking submissions for us, all sorts of editors. And did you have all that stuff. when you we, started lined up? When you like, did you have that lined up, or was that did you no? Have a when plan we started, when we started, we had we were editing every book ourselves, um, finding artists, getting everything made, just based on using money to do it and, and spending where we thought it would be worth it. And, you know, some connections to get editors and stuff, basically people we had worked with before. Yeah. Um, but no, our first few authors, a lot of them, we edited each book ourselves. And that was from our first book to even like a guys like Rick Partlow, who's become one of our most prolific sci-fi authors, his first series I edited myself. And as we grew, we started to realize, oh, if we want <laughs> to have a business we can't be editing everyone's books ourselves. We have to yeah. bring on editors because it just is too much work. When you started it, it sounded like it was kind of like a sci-fi fantasy kind of theme, but it seems to have branched out. I know one of our authors that have been on the show, I mentioned beforehand, uh, um, Hunter Blaine, it has like a superhero book you have listed on there. Like uh, well, we've always done anything. superhero for sure is we, we tie right into that. We don't do too much of it, but, we I wrote a superhero book called The Roach. My partner writes a superhero book called Raptors. Like, so we've always been into that genre. It's just a real tough genre. Yeah. It doesn't have a book market really. Right. Um, but yeah, our I mean, our real focus has always been science fiction and fantasy. At the start, mostly science fiction. Mm -hmm. Um, now it's it's pretty even. We do a lot of fantasy, a lot of progression fantasy with RPG. Um, sci-fi, we do a lot of military space opera, post-apocalyptic, all those sort of main commercial things under those umbrellas. Um, we started to do some thrillers. Mm -hmm. um, it really, we found that there was a lot of crossover in that market and military science fiction. So yeah. we're doing some, but definitely still our focus is science fiction and fantasy. Um, probably outside thriller, there's not really a, another genre we would do that we would feel comfortable knowing how to sell right because that's the thing was, right a lot of publishers like this is what we sell this is what we know this is what we're good at if somebody comes in they're like i want to pitch you this romance you're like well we'll send you over here because they know how to do that the best for you uh is that kind of stuff yeah, you guys are doing yeah i mean we're look we get our our website is very clear about what we look at we get the weirdest submissions all the time <laughs> all sorts of different genres um so it's it's hard to say <laughs> but yeah i mean i don't really know any romance publishers so i we just tend to ignore those submissions because i don't know why they're sending them to right, us right um, but we try to be honest and forthright about if we don't know how to sell things and, and look like we know how to sell science fiction and fantasy um, we're learning how to sell thrillers but every genre is very very different yeah the methods of promotion and marketing that work are different even in subgenres, like between the military and space opera and rpg and standard epic fantasy like the way that we have to promote them is totally different and custom um so yeah we just we try to stay in our lane just like we focus on digital because print isn't a game we think that independent publishers are going to be able to have a stake in so right. instead of focusing a ton of efforts on something that won't work in the end like print for us is a side thing we do it it makes a little the product looks great but we know we're not going to get distribution on the shelves because yeah only the big four does really are you hoping that someday that's something uh, you guys can look into doing a bit more of 
or are you um, just like not really oh, okay at this point and with the way the industry is no one really can yeah and i've seen a lot of small publishers push and try and go that route and i've seen a lot of small publishers bankrupt themselves with the returns and everything yeah and print right now to get on shelves at least in the u.s is a game that takes a massive multi-million dollar corporation that can handle distribution has the shelf space reserve can handle the return which is the biggest thing right like yeah. you could get when a book goes out for sale if it doesn't sell the bookstore can return it at full price to the publisher and like you could wake up on the hook for hundreds of thousands of dollars yeah. for a book that didn't sell. I just, so it's just, it's not a game we think we we could play and our release st style, like there are certain ways to release in print that don't work in our way, which is why instead of trying to emulate the big four and even how we release, like we don't do that. We do our own thing that focuses on the digital aspect because yeah. they are very different. Do you give the authors the chance to like, you know, get a bunch of print copies and go to conventions and sell print copies. Yeah, you know, I Amazon mean, and that kind of stuff. If they want, we have we can get author copies for authors for like forty to fifty percent of what their list price is. Okay. We tell them if you want to go to an event, buy them from us, sell them for whatever you want. You know, keep keep the money. Like, yeah, we are in sticklers for that. We just did Dragon Con, which was a lot of fun, and moved a lot of print copies with all the authors. And in the end, like. No, it wasn't about the money. Like we sell way more digital copies yeah. per day than we did in the entire time of DragonCon. But you well, know, being out there, it's about meeting. You know, you might meet a super fan and stuff like that, and right. those types of things. Well, it sounds like you really want to help the other authors too. Obviously, it's a business, but like you're there also for the other authors and to help people grow as well. So that's really awesome. Yeah, I mean, it was really fun to see a bunch of authors trying to sell their own books and everything, um, and but we you know we try to be upfront and honest with our authors about where we think they're going to make a living from and where they're going to have fun and sort of try to make some super fans a connection yeah you have a book that's recently come out uh september 19th i believe was your eighth continent book that yes. just came out, and that's part of this series a whole series right you got that comes out in then october and november another each one in that series yeah right? so we we built it up me and felix our savage worked on it together Honestly, we wrote it like two years ago. That's how we built up all the releases. And then at the audio deal and like there was some shakeup with the narrator and stuff. So it's been in the process for a really long time. Um, we wanted to try this sort of rapid release thing that just with how busy I am, I'm not usually able to do. Yeah. So it takes a while to, to build it up. But yeah, that's been going really well. Um, it's a fun sort of conspiracy story about, about a construction team on the moon that you know is, is selling pretty decently and people can read the full series really really fast uh but yeah no that's been been a lot of fun it was my first time trying hard science fiction um felix is very smart on that side of things <laughs> i try to admit where i'm not smart so if i write a military sci-fi i usually write it with someone who's military yeah so writing it with felix is I leave story and stuff and character stuff to me, but the hard science is him. And, and like, he had a, a scientist advising us and all sorts of stuff. That's so awesome. it, it's fun to, to delve into that side of the genre because it's something that alone I know I couldn't write because I'm just not yeah. a scientist. Right. That's understandable. Uh, you mentioned your co-owner of the A-Found Books uh, a little bit ago, and many people probably don't know his author name as easily and maybe they do but uh tell us a little bit about how you guys knew each other got to know each other yeah so that. steve bullier co-owns athon with me he also writes under jamie caswell so that's how we met i actually so sci-fi bridge which i talked about earlier mm -hmm. it was like a promotional platform i created um and i needed a logo at a time and the guys i started with knew steve and one of them was like hey steve He's a, a graphic designer. So he was like, hey, Steve can make this logo. And so we started talking about it. I just wound up hitting it off as friends. And I was writing The Luna Missile Crisis. I was trying to write it. It's a book I wrote. It's an alternate history um, set during the Cold War where aliens interrupt the Cold War. And like the US and USSR are trying to figure out how to both win over the respect of the aliens. Unfortunately, I'm 
33, so I wasn't born in the 60s. <laughs> and, and I had never really written on Earth before. Like, I've written epic fantasy, I've written far future science fiction, but never something grounded on Earth. Right. Um, and something that was so, like, pulpy and humorous at a certain level. And so he read it, and he was a pastor, and one of the characters was meant to be, like, was a very religious veteran. And so I asked him if he wanted to help me try to write this because I had like the whole thing outlined and all and written and I loved the idea, but I just couldn't get through it. So that was the first thing we did was we wrote Bone and Missile Crisis. We wrote a version, the version that's out. It took us probably two years of revisions and everything to get right. Like it was the hardest book I've ever had to write. And as we were doing it together, like we just became close friends and, and sort of discussed publishing and everything. So that was how it started. And we went from that to write a, a six book fantasy series together. We've written science fiction together, a weird Western together. So it's easy to write with someone when you co-own a business because we're basically always talking to each other about right. business stuff. Then when you're writing, you just switch over to talking about that. Um, so yeah, it just grew naturally from there. But yeah, we met just because I needed a logo and someone referred him to me as a graphic designer. So that's awesome. You, what is the process for you guys? Because you guys are writing books together. You know, you did that one. You did the Black Badge series, which we'll talk about here in a second. What is the process for that? Because everybody that co-writes, it seems like they mention a kind of a different process for doing it. Sometimes so, it's like each person does their own character like perspective or they just take turns taking chapters. How do you guys do it? So it really depends. Like, we know a ton of co-authors. In most cases, they're doing it to try to be faster because speed sells in the indie market like 100%. Um, me and Steve are not faster. <laughs> when we when we co-write, it depends on what we're writing. So you know, we wrote Lunar Missile Crisis in our fantasy series. There were multiple point of views. So we each took a point of view and went with that. But like, we don't just write a whole bunch of handed off. Like every chapter we're going back and forth. Like Steve always says, we touch 100% of every word in the books we write together. Like. If I write alone, I have a voice. If he writes alone, he has a voice. Together, we have a different voice. That's how differently we write together. That's not something I would recommend to someone <laughs> who's co-writing to try to pump out content. Like with, when it's with other people, I tend to be more their like developmental storyboarding type editor and and like get a rough draft and then edit it through it and stuff like that. With Steve, we're kind of building properties ground up back and forth. It um. Right, and then we wrote our weird Western series, Black Badge, which yeah. is first person, yeah. which is very hard to write together in. So essentially, it's like us going back and forth with ideas. If one of us have an idea for the next part, write it. The other person will write into it. It's just a constant back and forth to the point where that character's voice, neither of us would be able to write it alone because yeah. we've basically just been going back and forth so much on creating his first person voice. Um, so yeah, I mean, we are different depending on really the, the point of view that we're writing in. Yeah. But you guys and mingle, how many characters. And, you guys mingle that, those, that story and those characters. So I usually like when I read a book that's two authors, I can usually tell, especially if they're authors, I know I can tell them like, okay, this is Delilah Dawson and this is Kevin Hearn. I can tell, you know, between the two. Yeah, but with this, you can't tell, like, it's like. Who's, how are they doing this? How, how is And this that's why I'm saying it's, it's not something I'd recommend for some, for, for making money, for selling, selling fast or anything, because it does take longer. Like we just take, I, I could write a book alone faster than when we work together, but I think we create a, sort of a, a special type of voice that we couldn't do all by ourselves. Um, but yeah, it definitely, definitely takes longer. We work really hard to make sure you can't read who wrote what. We both wrote everything. Like yeah. even one one person rough drafted it. It's then been butchered apart by both of us and put back together until it's the right voice. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's our goal. It's cool to hear you say that because it is what we really focus on. But but again, I think it depends. Like. We run Atom. When we started it, it was supposed to be our side thing. Now writing is our side thing for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and Atom is like our super intensive full-time job. So, you know, we aren't writing for making a living. 
which is a very different approach than a writer who is writing for making a living. And yeah. I, whenever I talk to authors and I'm talking about a deal or signing them and stuff like that, it's always an important thing I ask them is what they're aiming for because it, it has to affect how you approach it. The uh, other thing about the Black Bad series that really stands out to me is your audiobook narrator. And I was looking and I, I, looking at your list of audiobook narrators and those, <laughs> those that are listening to the show, they know that I'm a big audiobook person. Like I love audiobooks. Uh, you talked about how Athan really wants to do a lot more digital and you don't get much better digital than basically a movie in your ears. And so you got, I'm just, let's run down this list real quick. So, uh, black badge series has Roger Clark, who many people know as Arthur Morgan from red dead redemption. Amazing, amazing voice. Uh, perfect for the series, by the way. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. we wrote it with him knowing it was going to be him. So oh, that's even better. That's even better. Yeah. Uh, you had the series with uh, Will Wheaton and Catherine McNamee. Damian, I, I McNamara, yeah. McNamara, yeah. You had that series, which is the Vicarious, and you had those two in there. You've had Luke Daniels did the Buried Goddess series. You had Ray Porter. You've had R.C. Bray. I mean, you're you're talking about like the five star Michelin audiobook narrators that are out there right now. Like these are the best ones, and you've got pretty much all of them. I don't think there's another author I can think of off the top of my head who have had this many. How do you do that? Was that just like a major key or or what was your hand in that? Tell us a little I'd, bit about that. I'd like to say it's on purpose. Obviously owning a company who's very large in the audio part helps. Of course, Avon didn't exist when I got RC Bray for, for the Children of Titan series. I was just sort of, I wanted him for it. I thought he'd be a great fit. He really liked it and went for it. Um, same as the road which he did and Luke Daniels was we sold that series of Audible Studios and they actually it's it's so funny because they gave us auditions from him Ray Porter and Oliver Wyman and Luke was Steve's favorite narrator so we chose him yeah but that was like we didn't request those three they just gave us those three which is cool um so but after those I mean yeah like getting Will Wheaton and Catherine who's an actress was a that was during COVID and actors have nothing to do. So we made a big push. Um, Athon, we worked with companies. I mean, we had Felicia Day do a book. Like I had Lou Diamond Phillips do a book of mine because we did a book of his. Like when they couldn't work, we were looking at a lot of those narrators to do stuff. That's um, awesome. And then Ray Porter, we wanted him for Luna Missile Crisis from the start. If the agent for Dennis E. Taylor happens to be my agent, <laughs> so I was, you know, using that connection, we were able to sort of talk to Ray and get Ray. So connections in this industry absolutely help. There's a ton of great narrators besides these big people out there, though. Right. Um, again, like half of them for me were luck, half were timing and and targeting them. We get a lot of huge narrators, people all the time. We've built up a lot of narrators. So, yeah, it's cool to have that list. I think Steve's list is even more impressive. He... He's like an audiophile. He listens to multiple books a week. So he always says like he wants to collect all his favorite narrators for his <laughs> own stuff. Um, but me, I, I like to get just focus on, you know, who I think is going to do the best job. I don't release as many books as him. Roger Clark, again, it was a situation where we had a, a weird Western novella with Audible Originals. And we were both like, oh, who'd be good at this? I was like, I wonder if the guy from Red Dead Redemption narrates, because we were playing the game at the time. Yeah. And so we emailed them, and they're like, yeah, he does some books. And so that's how we got obsessed. Um, and that's one thing authors should know. Half of getting the narrative or want anything in this industry is just asking. Yeah. Because most times, authors don't ask, so you get a list of some auditions and you pick one. But like, if you ask and that person's available they're happy not to think about who to audition. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like yeah. as long as you're being reasonable, like certain narrators are just unavailable. Like RC Bray is just really hard to get anymore. Um, things like that. But if they're available and their price isn't insane, which if they're not a celebrity, they're mostly uh, gettable by these audio publishers. You just have to ask. Yeah. Um, and that is something we've put into a thought is even when we sub license out, we retain narrator approval because we try to ask for the best possible person. That's great. 
Are you hands-on with the audiobook narrator at all? Or is it just like you're done and you're just like, here, go? Um, or does it depend on the narrator? So we have a whole audio team and yeah, it definitely does. Um, again, we try to get pronunciation lists from our authors and everything. And some are really, can be picky about certain voices they want. And if it's a newer narrator, we'll send them that list. But you know, if it's like, if it's Ray Porter my, and the author is trying to say like, oh, I'll tell him what I want to sound like, my answer is going to be, Look, he's going to sound like Ray Porter and however Ray Porter wants to perform this book. Yeah. Um, and we don't really feel comfortable pushing him. Yeah. Be happy it's Ray Porter. Cause, <laughs> yeah, because he just, he just doesn't do that. Um, and some narrators are really famous and they ask and they want all the information because they want to do that. And they all have different styles. I mean, we know narrators who prep read the book twice before reading it. Yeah. We know narrators who don't want to prep. They want the honest, raw interpretation of the book yeah. and yes on the in the end sometimes that leads to errors like they uh, say give someone a certain voice and then change a the voice because they forgot they already gave that character voice and stuff like that yeah and if you really listen close to the audiobooks you'll notice that in like a lot of them um but they usually give a really raw and emotional performance so yeah i mean it depends if it's a narrator who we're trying to groom and help build up their following will be a lot more hands-on um and typically they need it because there will be more proofing mistakes and things like that but yeah we try to be custom to who it is what was kind of your first intro into writing books like obviously you've been writing since you're little little kid right but what was your like I'm going to publish this book or I'm going to, you know, get published. And then, you know, what kind of started that ball rolling? So I was in like high school, I was probably like 15 or 16. And I started writing a fantasy trilogy. I can't even look at it now. It's horrible. Um, but I went and like, I my parents were helping me cause I didn't know what to do with it. Um, you know, back then, and again, it wasn't that long ago, but KU Kindle Unlimited and Kindle KDP and stuff were really, didn't really get big until based on what we said, like 2014 or so. And this was like 2007, 2008. So I, you know, my parents helped me and we found some vanity publisher and we did it through them and we thought it was cool. And like, I didn't know what the vanity publisher, I don't even say who they are anymore. The owners are in jail um, because they were exploiting people. Um, So when I say I've seen every side of publishing, like while that sucked and it was, shitty to just get taken advantage of by a vanity publisher mm-hmm. i'm glad it happened because it, it shows you who's doing right like yeah. when people say don't sign to someone who's making you pay up front you're like oh but what if it's something like no don't this is exactly why because they're just collecting checks and, and vanishing on people yeah. um so that was my first thing was with was a fantasy trilogy that I published at like 16 and no one really read and all that. Um, so yeah, that kind of sucked. And after that, I kind of dedicated myself to actually like having my work critiqued, short stories, um, critique groups, putting it, actually putting it out there for feedback and stuff like that. Because, you know, when you're that age and you're writing alone, unless you're on the internet getting feedback, you're showing parents and friends and people that are never going to give you an honest opinion right and i i say that any aspiring author as awesome as your parents might be or your friends might be they can't be unbiased they just can't the best way for you to improve as a writer is to put it in front of strangers because yeah some of them are gonna be assholes and I, I have more than a few and those, you know, in those situations, you have to like look between the lines for any valuable insight, but it's the only way you're going to get honest opinions. Even if they're not spending money, they're taking their time to read their, your work and people who read stuff for free tend to be even meaner than people who are willing to spend money. Yeah. Um, so that's a, a, an awesome way to grow as a writer. Obviously, reading, like I went back and started reading a lot of science fiction and fantasy where, you know, during high school, I didn't want to read because they made us read crap that I didn't want to read. Right. And, and the best of times, and, it was the worst of times. Uh, and I really think, like, look, I'm, I was fine. I did great in school. Like, I, I didn't mind it or anything. But when it comes to reading, 
I think they should offer more optional reading because they really make you hate reading unless you're into that literary stuff. Yeah. And so I just like stopped reading and then it was like sophomore year in college. I was like, Oh, like I can read things I want to now. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of cool. Maybe I'll try that. And that, you know, helped me actually discover that I wanted to write science fiction. Like after that, I wrote a ton of science fiction, which I hadn't before. So those are, those are two really important things for sure is, to really show people what you're working on. When you got that, realized that in school where it's like, oh, I can read whatever I want to read. What was the book that you're like, oh, this is the book. Do you, do you know it? Like for me, I was very much the same. I didn't want to read anything. And then we had to do like a, like a book report thing of whatever we wanted. And I picked up a wizard of mercy and I was like, this is really cool. Can I do this one? And they're like, sure. I'm like, really? I can do this. Or was there like a, was there like a, a book for you that like really, uh, you can go yeah, back and so like, this was the it's book. A, it's a live action character who just got revealed as I read uh, Heir to the Empire. <laughs> I was like, I, I was like, I love Star Wars. Why don't I try reading this first Star Wars book? Yeah. And um, so that I read that whole series and then I read like the Bane series and a bunch of series. And then I went on and started reading a lot of like Heinlein and Phil K. Dick and the classic guys. Um so yeah, it was Heir to the Empire that I was really like, oh, I can read something I want to read. Like, yeah. I like Star Wars. Uh, this guy's writing, writing is awesome. Like, let's go for it. So that was that was the book, <laughs> which is is pretty cool. Now that I like, I know Timothy's on now, which is yeah, cool. That's awesome. Um, but like to see that character come to life now is, is also was a pretty cool thing to see because that was like the first written character that I really loved. That's exciting. What do you think would be your first, like your first super well-known book? Would it be like the Titanborn series or do you, was there one before that? Um, depends on the format. <laughs> um, so web of eyes in our fantasy series. Okay. The Barry goddess series. came out, be- came out before that and did really, really well in audio. Yeah. It just never picked up that well off anywhere else. Um, Titan, the Titan series is probably my best known series, like definitely the most readers. Um, so yeah, it's, it's between those two Between those two, and it really, it really depends on the format. Um, whether it's audio versus ebook print. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was between those two. And again, they, they kind of came out at a very similar time. Well, with the very guys, how did you, how did you deal with character development in that? Cause you have some very distinct characters in that book series. Whether it's whether it's uh, you know the rogi character, you know all the different characters that are in there, how do you develop them? Because obviously they change as the story progresses. Um, I wish so I knew. <laughs> no, no, it's it's not that it was so long. Is me and Steve spent so much time writing that series and like just going back through each book and pouring over it and. Like we like this, we've written a bunch of stuff since, and we always go back to that as our favorite thing to have written because, like you said, the characters in the first book are so different than the characters, same people in the sixth yeah. book, but they're the same people, but they've sort of changed so much. And a lot of that was we didn't, we didn't outline that really at all. Like the characters was pants sort of, but like, we literally wrote them to each other. Like when I say we were right different point of views, like, you know, it's an epic fantasy series. So yeah. the first book really only has two point of views. So that was sort of like people always review that the worst because it is a simpler fantasy story that leads into everything else. Yeah. And as it became more epic, we were both juggling different point of views and we had an overall outline of where the story would want to go. But Steve might write something with another character that completely changed what I had to do with this character. And so when I say that the characters were actually evolving and growing themselves, it was literally because we were writing them separately, then coming together with no yeah. outlines. So the characters themselves were literally reacting to, the to what happened. Yeah. And uh, the funniest part is for so long, I didn't know this since like book five or six. So Steve uh, was rolling for them like the nd if it was d20 he would kill someone off and i didn't know this the whole time and so literally his roles were changing the story in drastic ways as it was going 
and I was having to recover with my character and change stuff. <laughs> and we reached a point in book six where I was like, Steve, this one character needs to die. And he was like, no, he can't die. I love him so much. I was like, but that's like, that's the story. He has to die. And so he was like, fine. So he rolled and it landed on D20. And so we actually did it. Um, but yeah, for like five books, dice were deciding the fate of every character in that series when they reached a perilous moment. And I had, and I had no idea. And I was just reacting to that. When did you find <laughs> out and how did you find out? Like, did he tell you? And you're like, wait, what? I found out when I said that that one main character okay. had to die, which was as we were planning to, okay. to finally write, write the final book. And that was when he rolled for that character. I was like, what have you been doing this whole time? I was like, yeah, that's why the so-and-so died in book three. And I was like, <laughs> oh, my God, that changed the entire series. And so, yeah, it was, I think those characters evolved so well, just in the style we wrote it, was literally reacting to each other. Every other chapter, we would write it, hand it back, be like, holy crap, I'm going to change everything now. And that was everything from story to even battle scenes. Like if one person wrote something, if the other character wound up in it, they were then placed in a position that you weren't sure they were going to be and you had to react. Um, so it was really, really fun to write. And I, I think very hard to write. It took us a long time just to make everything work out. It's one of my favorite themes to have, you know, it's, you, you've got Whitney Firestorm, who's the, with the, who's the, like the rogue of the party. You were talking about yeah. D and D. Um, and he's stuck with this, basically a paladin and they have to, you know, do stuff together and they're like dynamic opposites, but they still have to get along. And it's such a, I, I love that. In there's very few books that do that, and you guys do it very well. It's I, I loved it. So people uh, who are well, I can announce. I am allowed to announce something. I'll give it to you since we haven't announced it anywhere. All right. Um, so that series is getting a webtoon original. Oh. So it'll it's going to be a comic, which is okay. Really exciting because it's a series, like I said, that we we love, and it's done. Like there's not much, there's nothing else we could do with it now. But now we're going to be able to work with an art team to kind of bring it into a different to story. that to that new medium and and sort of show people a story from from beginning to end again. So how are people going to be able really to find cool. that or read that um, on webtoon webtoon site? So it'll site, be yeah. a while. Okay. <laughs> it's gonna it's gonna be a while, probably not till late next year that it starts coming out because there's so much that goes into those, but. We're really excited because, like I said, no matter what we write, like we keep going back to that as our favorite story that we've ever written. Yeah. Do you know like what the do you know like what the art's going to look like? Is it going to be color, black and white? Anything yeah. So like it'll that? be like most things on webtoon. It's going to be universal style art. Okay. Um, so everything on that site that sells well is really a, a similar style. Okay. Um, we know we know more. We know like who the art studio and stuff will be that we're that's not allowed right. to say yet. Yeah. But no, that's yeah. Awesome. It's gonna that's be. Amazing. It's gonna be really fun. Children of Titan series. Tell us a little bit about that one because obviously you mentioned it's a toss up between the two of them. Uh, this is one that I personally haven't read, so I, I need you to tell our audience all about the things. <laughs> so that's an interesting series because I wrote book one actually for Random House. Okay. Um, and I wrote book one, and it, it's essentially a story of, of it's set like 300 years from now. I think an expanse like universe is all set in our solar system. So, like the expanse, but a little more broken down, like Earth was really destroyed. So, it's kind of more survival, like everyone's more focused on survival, but advanced to that level where they're spread throughout our whole solar system. And it's about an aging bounty hunter who winds up witness to a terrorist attack on Earth from, they're called ringers, they're basically people that live on Titan that are starting to want to separate um, based on, on the history of, they wound up there escaping an asteroid that hit Earth. Earth was supposed to die, but not everyone died. So Earth rebuilt, and then the two cultures came together and were totally different by that point um how they looked how they acted so think like the belters and the expanse but next level like they've been apart they weren't discriminated for for 300 years they were totally apart and then 
randomly came together as sort of like Europeans and natives. So it's about an aging bounty hunter trying to hunt them down. And that's essentially book one is him trying to get to the bottom of it, finding and, and find out like what was really behind this attack and, and sort of finding his sympathy, even though he's been a corporate follower his whole life. So it's supposed to be one book. But as I finish the first book, I had a really good idea for the other side, showing the terrorists that he was after and how they wound up where they were. Um, and that sort of the whole thing evolved into a series that instead of showing the rebellion was about sort of the birth of this rebellion okay. and kind of taking a bad guy and him finding his heart and taking a good guy and him finding his way to being in charge of this rebellion. I always compare it to like the fall of Anakin, but without awful writing and dialogue, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> and, and like a reason beyond just, just visions like based on heartbreak and everything. So it's really about showing trauma. And so each book is sort of a science fiction, Greek tragedy that's building up towards a tragedy. That's going to keep plunging them further down. Um, so that was, sort of my big series that I wrote on my own. Again, another one that was very hard to write. Each character is first person. So it even goes back and forth between first person, which really limited the scope of the story. But I had to use tricks to kind of be able to tell more about this growing rebellion. But yeah, it's really a story about two individuals wrapped up in this growing rebellion rather than the war itself. It's really about them and their trauma in this so it was very very hard to write it took me years and, and a bunch of rewrites and everything i love it i mean it's a really really hard well, like personal story about a broken down guy yeah um and you know i i even got so far it was it ended after four books and i was like oh i have to do something with a fifth and wrote a fifth that's sort of five years in the future and brings everything wrapped up to its end. Right. Um, but yeah, it's, it's meant to be sort of this big gritty science fiction epic, um, epic as in it's focus on two characters, taking them from like, really you experience what they've experienced from birth until how they end in the rebellion. How do you, how do you grow as a writer? I mean, obviously, these books, you said it was really hard to begin. What kind of developments do you look back on and go, man, I learned this from these books, or I learned these from these books? And up till now, um, it's like you're probably a way different writer than you were when you first started. Yeah, I think like reading a lot of stuff, it's it almost just happens and you don't even realize improving. Mm -hmm. um, important for me was editing. Like... Uh, some authors really only want copy edits done and that's fine. And they're really precious about their words. Nothing helped me more than in like my first science fiction series. I had an amazing editor through a publisher that just butchered it and like broke it down and showed me how to improve it, how to make the dialogue feel more real and everything. And I think that helps like really, really getting someone to react to every paragraph you write. Yeah. And tell you ways they think they can that it can be better, and not trying to rewrite your work, but trying to get you to find the perfect version of this work. I think that really that's why I always tell people like the, if you want to grow as a writer, show it to people who are strangers who are going to critique the shit out of it. Yeah, and for every ninety percent of garbage reaction, ten percent of it is going to be great stuff because. In the end, you aren't writing for you. Yeah. If you want, you know, you're writing for readers to read this book for a certain market or for everyone if you want to be super commercial. Um, but yeah, that my, my editor with Diversion Books was really helpful. My editor with Random House was really, really, really helpful. Um, and writing with Steve is really, you know, co-writing is great. If it's not a situation where it's just one person rough drafting it and the other person sort of editing it and helping and using their name and everything, if it's a legitimate co-production, like we're editing each other's words back and forth, editing each other's story. Like I'll tell him if this doesn't work, he tells me if that doesn't work. Like 
it helped us own our skills a, a lot. Um, of course, we did. You know, we've done like ten plus books, so right. it took a it took a lot of work, but just that constant feedback rather than writing in a vacuum, yeah, can really help. But again, like you know, sometimes if you just write a book and release on Amazon, you don't get that level of feedback, and that's fine if you're selling. Yeah. Um. So you know, there's different schools of thought on it, but if you want to really own your skills it i think it can take a lot of feedback and you know going back and forth and things before you put it out into the marketplace when you're friends and working together does that make it difficult to like be honest about certain things or are you guys like no we want you to be honest if i'm if there was no hurt feelings in here when there's being honesty about between stuff like me that? and between me and steve yeah or yeah, yeah, other no, authors I, I think- I think oh, for me and Steve, like we realized that's why we wrote Luna Missile Crisis so, so many times. And that was our first book together is the first version. Like we didn't really know each other. So we were timid and scared to say anything yeah. rough or, or have someone rewrite a scene or anything like that. And then I think we it was after like four Barry Goddess like a books that we went and rewrote it where we were both like, okay, like now we can really tell each other what's what um as a publisher if i need to tell someone how to fix something or something like that at this point i feel like we have enough of a reputation for being author first and wanting to do best by them that they trust yeah when we're telling them things but again we're not the type of publisher that's going to tell them no you need to change this 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 and this and this otherwise we're not publishing it yeah no like we our goal is to perfect the story they want to tell otherwise we wouldn't have signed it right um and again i 99 of the time that's what the big four is after too they don't want to do all this huge developmental editing work it costs right. a lot of money they want to perfect what you want to say and that's what editing should be for us um you know the situations where we need to tell someone to take something out tend to be if there was a copyright issue or it's just something so R-rated we don't feel comfortable publishing yeah. it and stuff. And that tends to be more awkward than other conversations where we think we can help them improve something because we've done this a lot and we, we feel like we've earned the right to at least be able to have that open dialogue. Yeah. If they say no, it's, you know, and they have a good reason, it's fine. Um, but at least we want to be honest and put forth ideas that will help. That's awesome. Again, your upcoming uh, book series, the Eighth Continent series, is you just had one come out September 19th. You got another one in October. You got another one in November from that series, right? Yeah. Do you have dates on those? 30 days or so. <laughs> I picked them so long. It's like every four weeks or so okay okay <laughs> so i want to i want to say october 26th okay and then november 21st or something like yeah. that but but don't quote you on but, it guys if you're listening don't no quote don't quote me on it, it. <laughs> somewhere I said it, it's like it's like every four month in amazon time and we release on tuesdays um so yeah we're quick releasing it again it was something we prepped for a long time so we could give us a try um it's something that does work well. A lot of authors do, but it's cool for readers, right? They get to read a whole series really fast. Yeah, it's that's a popular way of doing things. There's, you'd be surprised how many authors we've had from multiple different companies. Like, boom, 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 boom. Oh, I do better if I do them, re- get them out real quick. So we prefer it every time. So awesome, awesome. Of course, everyone can find all of the books from all of the authors at athonbooks.com. Or they can find all of your stuff at retbruno.com, correct? Don't put the C yep. in there, people. Just retbruno. I made that mistake typing it in once, and I was like, it's not coming up. <laughs> uh, really? I should probably buy the other one, too. Yeah, maybe. That's on you. That's on you. They can find you on Twitter, rcbruno44. Is that correct? Yep. Uh, Facebook, backslash author, retcbruno on Facebook, and at rc bruno author on instagram did i get all of them yeah if you search ret usually it's just me there you go ret and ret and author together right. <laughs> <laughs> i think there's an actress with ret too that pops up you'll you'll find a ret, a ret and link book the band <laughs> or whatever 
but that's about it. <laughs> awesome. Listeners, I also want to remind you that the podcast is not the only show we do. We also do a live stream only show as well. It's called Off the Pod. It's usually a three-hour, fully interactive show. It is also on Mondays, the opposite Mondays of the podcast. Next week on Off the Pod, we're going to be joined by author Michelle Franklin. She does a lot of awesome stuff on all the social media. Her books are hilarious. Great kids' books as well. So what happens in that show is every 20 minutes, our topics change and we talk about a new topic. We're going to be talking Celtic mythology, video games, and cheese? That's going to be weird, but it's going to be a lot of fun next Monday with author Michelle Franklin. As far as the podcast goes, our next podcast episode is live October 9th with New York Times bestselling author and actor Wesley Chu. That's going to be available for download on October 10th. That's not to mention all of our other future guests, such as author Heather Harris, game designer Connor Alexander, and Monty Cook games owner Shanna Germain, and so many more. So like, follow, rate, review, push all the buttons, push them all and say the nicest things about us. For Rhett C. Bruno, I am Nick, and I want to thank you all for listening to Epic Realms. Well, there you are. I hope you enjoyed yourselves, and I do hope that you come back and join us again for Epic Realms. <laughs> <laughs>